This is the Millennial Millionaire Through Real Estate Podcast. You got bad wholesalers who just send you crap. Mm-hmm. You got good wholesalers will generally send you deals that are decent and you'll get like a 10%, if you 10% margin, 15% margin. Sometimes you'll get that bird deal, 25. We have gotten bird deals from wholesalers. You're listening to the Millennial Millionaire Through Real Estate Podcast, where we discuss tangible tips, tricks, and best practices for becoming financially free. The show is designed for people who want to either start real estate investing or for those who want to scale their real estate business. What's going on, everyone? This is Jonathan Farber, your host of the Millennial Millionaire Through Real Estate podcast. I hope you're all well and healthy. For any first-time listeners, thanks for being here. The goal of this show is to explore ways to become financially free through real estate or to increase passive cash flow through real estate. A little background on myself. I work in corporate America at a software company. My side hustle is real estate. I currently own eight rental units and looking to add more this spring. I have house hacked, bird, flipped, and done short-term rentals to name a few strategies. My current focus is 20 to 30 unit apartment buildings in Ohio and Kentucky. I love to network and learn. So if you'd like to connect further, feel free to find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, or BiggerPockets. Andrew Sirios is our guest today. He has uh, tons of stories and tons of practical advice on his journey. Uh, He's just a really smart guy, writes a lot, um, digs into his story a lot, just of how he scaled and who he brought into his team and how he got his base. So there's a lot of good stuff to listen for here, guys. I've already gone back and listened to this episode twice. Um, not because I had to, just because I thought it was really good and got a lot out of it. Um, the two things that stood out from this episode were his strategy to stack a portfolio and grow it organically. Maybe some of you guys have heard about the strategy known as the stack. Uh, he has something similar to that and has used it to grow a portfolio to already many units and um, now do real estate full time. Um, he also has a really good approach and explanation advice, you could say, on how to take more action and less, I guess, just paralysis, how to stop thinking and start doing. He's got a really good strategy on how to take more action and be more action oriented to get ahead. I think we can all agree that Um, You do need to get educated and get a base knowledge for what you're trying to do, but only when you start taking action consistently, are you able to achieve or to step forward to your goals and actually start making progress. So he's got a really good strategy there. Today's tangible tip is OneNote for all my note takers out there, digital note takers, I guess for that matter. Um, This is the best tool I have come across for note taking. Um, I've experimented with a lot of different note-taking tools, pen and paper, apps, websites, plugins, um, Apple, Google, Microsoft. This was the one that just for me ended up working the best because I liked how it worked on all platforms. There's a really good mobile version. There's a really robust uh, digital version for the computer. Uh, And it can do so much more than just notes. You can scan pictures in. They're readable. You can put check boxes, create org charts, put in pictures. If you use Outlook, there's tons of feature integration that you can just pull emails in and sort emails through uh, OneNote. So there's a lot there. You can use it for as much or as little as you want. You can just use it for a plain to-do list or just notes if you're on customer calls or walking a property. Um, But I pretty much use it for everything. And there's tons of videos or just tutorials online of how to use it and different ways to use it. There's some people that are going crazy with it. It's awesome though. So that's today's tip. Hope it's helpful. It's really helped me. 
Um, awesome episode today. Hope you guys enjoy. Let's get into it with Andrew Sirios. Andrew, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for jumping on. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was just thinking about it before we jumped on and mentioned it to you before, but um, the blog and a lot of your content that you've been producing has been well going for a long time and really consistent, really um, solid. I was just looking back through some of the articles on Bigger Pockets and for anyone listening, we'll put it in the show notes, but there's some awesome articles on here. What I like about it is you're covering Thank stuff, you. real estate, but also life and personal development and finance. It's very broad. So um, very cool stuff. Thank you. I appreciate that. So um, getting into it, would love to hear your background and more specifically how you got started in real estate. Yeah. So, I mean, my, my path was fairly straightforward. Uh, my father started a real estate company back in Eugene in 1989. He had some uh, tr- trying experiences with it in, 19, in, in the early 80s in Portland, Oregon. And then when he came down to uh, Eugene, started, uh, which is where the University of Oregon is, he started again, uh, this time with student housing and had a lot of success there. I joined after college. We started flipping houses around the, uh, in Eugene and then I moved up to Salem. Eventually came back to Eugene, got tired of that and it got kind of hard. I mean, first we switched to flipping because of the crash. Um, and then we were having some success with short sales and that tightened up. And so wanted to get back into buy and hold, kind of saw the market was going to start to move back up again. Um, Oregon is not, it's not California, it's not New York, but it's still pretty expensive. And, we, and it's not the best cash flow market. And so we, you know, I'm a, our family's originally from the Midwest. My grandparents live in Wichita. And so we, a friend of ours was looking at properties in Kansas City, took a flight out with them, uh, saw that the prices were substantially more affordable. Uh, the rents were less, but not, you know, the, the gap was, was, wasn't as, as big, you know, and it, the cash flow numbers worked. And so I ended up moving out here in early 2011 after doing some, you know, flipping and, and whatnot in Oregon. Uh, my brother ended up, my brother Philip joined me uh, about nine months later, and we've just kind of been going ever since, mostly buying houses, fixing them up, and then just renting them out. Some multifamily, but more of the uh, smaller, generally speaking. And uh, we've just been going, th- uh, you know, I kind of took over the acquisition rehab financing part, or at least my, my father did a lot of the financing too. My brother got into property management. He's my younger brother, so he gets property management. <laughs> and uh, we just, we just kind of went from there. It's been going for about nine years now. That's very cool. So right now, is it mainly the business you and your brother, or are you doing your own ventures, or you is your dad involved still, or is he out of the equation? No, my my, my father's still involved. He's uh he's mostly regarding the financing side and and some strategy and things like that because he still lives in Oregon. They have their student housing there. Uh, my brother's still involved as well. Uh, he's doing more acquisition now. We've hired a property manager. So we've gotten a little bit further along where we've moved out of, you know, we're not involved too much in the day-to-day stuff. We're more in the, uh, the financing, the finding properties, the tracking performance, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, it takes a while to get there. And uh, some people, you know, that's not really, they don't want to move into that next thing. They're, they're comfortable, you know, find, you know, doing, doing all of it, maybe doing the rehab themselves and that's fine. But we wanted to grow a bit bigger and have, uh, have, so we've kind of moved out of those more day-to-day roles. Got it. I have to ask just because I have a brother and he's getting into real estate as well. We're talking about collaborating on some deals. He brings a unique skill set that I think could be helpful. Just he has a financial accounting background regarding real estate. But I'm curious, um, how is it working with your brother and how do you guys divide responsibilities? I mean, it's 
my brother and I get along really well, so that's important. If you don't get along with your brother <laughs> or your sister or some or, or your parents or whoever you're partnering with, I was going to say spouse, and that might like that's a bit of a you don't get along with your spouse very well. That's a deeper problem. Um, it, it can be a challenge, but generally it's it's gone pretty well, especially if you're good at separating kind of work and life, um, because you there will be some heated disagreements. There will be some things that just uh, you feel strongly about your brother, your sister, your husband, your wife, your, you know, whatever disagrees with. And so being able to separate those two things is very important. Uh, but I think having a strong relationship going in is also important. If you don't get along that well, it's probably not, not what to do because the it, things can get kind of heated. And as far as specific responsibilities, do you guys, are you both good at a lot of the same stuff you are you kind of both swiss army knives i guess you could say good at all parts or is he doing something specific and you're doing something specific i mean originally i was overseeing acquisition and rehab and and more of the refinance side like getting banks in and i think i'm fairly uh good at putting together proposals making uh you know analyzing deals putting together budgets you know overseeing that kind of thing my brother is very good at very tactful with people very good with property management um you know, he, he's, he's been called the tenant whisperer before because you know, somebody will come in just in a rage and, and 20 minutes after talking to my brother, they're like, Oh, okay. Yeah, that's great. That's wonderful. Thank you so much. <laughs> Very good at, at, at that type of thing. He's moved more into, uh, you know, to acquisition more recently. And he's, he's also got a good mind for analysis. Um, so I think, I think we both have our certain strengths. Um, you know, honestly, uh, you know, just being in the front lines, like the negotiating with sellers and stuff like that, probably not, not my strength really. Um, and I think he's a bit better at it than me. I think I'm probably a bit stronger at analysis. Uh, you know, this, it's hard to be good at everything. And real estate kind of does require a lot of different hats. And so mm -hmm. it is good. I, you know, one of the things just with partners in general is it's important to find one that does things well that you don't if you're both the same person and maybe get along better but you know it's like you're just replicating yourself and replicating all of your strengths but also all of your weaknesses um but in general in real estate you do need to have a, a good number of decent you know you don't mean you almost don't need to be great at anything but you need to be good at a good number of things and, you, and that kind of goes against the you know master of one trade not jack of all but um real estate isn't it you know i think that also that comes to like niches you don't want to be involved in like flipping lots and also like you know buying mobile home parks and and, and you know eventually you can open up a new division but you don't want to be doing a little bit of everything sure but real estate itself requires a little bit of multiple things for sure i agree with that 100 percent. i i think to that point it is you do see it with a lot of people that they're they're scattered in the sense of they're thinking about too many strategies but I do totally agree that within each strategy, you then have to be kind of a generalist. If you yeah. drill in on a strategy, you then might need to be good with numbers, good with people, good with rehab type of projects. Or so finding a yeah. partner or an employee or somebody who's good at those right. things too. Right. Although you shouldn't just completely outsource it. You should have at least enough of an idea to check their work or find their mistakes kind of thing. Uh, but yeah, I, I, it's the seminar to seminar thing. You go to one seminar. Oh, this is such a great idea. I'm going to go all in on this. You go to the next seminar. Oh, this is such a great, I got to get into tax liens. I got to get into buying seconds. I got to get into buying, you know, flipping mobile home parks or whatever. It's like, uh, you know, you gotta, you can't do everything. You know, you're not going <laughs> to, uh, yeah. We'll get into that later, but you did just kind of remind me of something like I used to go through this phase where I'd listen to a podcast 
and bigger pockets. I ask every guest what their favorite book is and whatever they said, I would buy the book and I'd read the book, mm-hmm. even if it had no alignment with my business model. And I felt like mm-hmm. it was putting me in such a scattered place that now I've, I've changed my mentality on it that any content I'm going to take in regarding strategy, it has to be in alignment. I'm not going to read about single family if I'm focusing on multifamily. So yeah. to that point, or, you can learn the parts of it when you're in it. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I would agree. I, I think, I mean, it's not a bad thing to read books on different real estate topics, but you, you need to have your focus. You need to have your niche. Um, and until at the earliest, you either want to change it like you find you're not finding any success anymore. Perhaps like we went from flip, you know, from holding to flipping back to holding based on what the market was doing. Or if you're big enough and this and uh, can open up a new division, but you need somebody in that division that's going to focus on that. Not, uh, Oh, I'm going to spend, you know, half my time here and half my time there. And just, yeah, it's, it's, you know, every, every, it, it takes a while to get going. Most businesses don't have, you know, good performance in the first couple of years. And every time you open a new idea, it's going to have that same learning curve and that same growth curve. And, uh, that's, that's, you're not, you're not going to be successful with a bunch of, of, you know, a bunch of ideas, programs, company, whatever at the bottom of the growth curve, you want to get to that top of the growth curve. Sure. And so, yeah, I absolutely agree with you. So just taking it one step back, it seems like you started with a couple different approaches, anything, repeatable or that stands out to you from your first couple deals? And then is that the same business model you implement today as far as what uh, strategy you use for real estate investing? Well, when we came out to Kansas City, we were buying a little bit too cheap and we were more focused on apartments. And we quickly learned that like we need to buy in a better areas. Um, you can make money in really bad spots, uh, you know, war zones and like that. There are good tenants there. Um, but it's tough because the prop, they, they look good on paper, but the properties cost more to uh, maintain than you, the operating costs are more than the rental income. And you just tons of headaches and all sorts mm-hmm. of things you're just not willing to deal with. And a lot of investors make that mistake, buying too cheap, buying in bad areas because they look good on paper. They only look good on paper generally, unless you're a specialist. Mm-hmm. So we got into better areas. Kansas City is a very sprawled out city. It's nice because there's very little traffic, but it's tough because we're kind of, one of our big challenges, we're spread out. We have properties, you know, all throughout the city. We have our general area of focus, but some of the times it takes 25, 30 minutes to drive to one. And so, but one of the things this means is there aren't as many apartments. There are a lot of houses. And we found that like we have both our financing situation where we have uh, private lenders who are willing to, you know, finance us back <laughs> prices back then you know thirty thousand forty thousand dollars to be all into these decent houses i just nostalgia sorry um and you know whereas not as strong for apartment complexes i we know houses better i'm 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 pretty good at comping houses apartments can be more complicated with cap rates and stuff like that there's a lot more things you can do to add value but with houses especially back then when there were so many foreclosures uh, you just kind of knew like, okay, this market's going to want it will eventually rectify. And I'm pretty good at comping like what this will be. All these foreclosures are way down at the bottom and the few home sales or whatever there are, are substantially better. It's not a good market to sell these in because we're buying probably in the working class to lower middle class area. So it's tough to sell these, but you know, you know, eventually once these things get clear, you know, first of all, when they're praising them, they're not going to praise them to compared to foreclosures. They'll praise them to the, to the handful of homeowner sales. Mm -hmm. Secondly, eventually this foreclosure glut is going to go away. And so um, then the price generally that bottom, that floor will drop out and they'll go to the, they'll go above and generally start to increase. 
So we saw that as an advantage. We know houses better. We're better at valuing them. We're better at figuring out the rehab costs. There are lots of them. There, there, our financing is better for them. And so we really got into single family and then small multis and the Burr method of just trying, we're, we're flipping it to ourselves. We're buying this house, we're rehabbing, we're trying to be all in for under 75% so we can go to a bank with a package of them and refinance them and get, hope, you know, get all of our money out. I mean, that's the, it doesn't always work out that way, but that's the, uh, that's the strategy that we really settled on and have been doing that really since probably, you know, it probably took us about a year to figure out what we were doing exactly and get rid of that. And probably, so it, uh, early to early 2012, we kind of settled in on that strategy and been doing that ever since. Have you stuck with that business model, but just gone for bigger deal sizes and bigger units or have you changed slightly? Well, we bought some apartments, but kind of sorry. Going back, when you like, say when you say apartments, you mean apartment buildings or individual apartment units? Apartment built. Oh, we bought a few condos too. We had a weird package of seventeen condos, which I really really didn't <laughs> want. But then they kept just dropping the price. And like, okay, fine, you've convinced me to take it. But uh, uh, generally, apartment you know condos can be tough because the HOA, the Homeowner Association, dues kind of kill your cash flow most of the time. Not always. Mm-hmm. Uh, but apartment buildings, um, you know, but not, not the big ones. I mean, the biggest apartment we bought is 32 units. So a decent size. We bought a few of those, we bought some portfolios of houses. We bought a, a, some smaller ones, like five units, three units. We bought a few really big ones, one of 41 units, one of 97 units, which is our biggest acquisition. Um, those are kind of like when they come and when you can find them. Yeah. You want to go in on those big, especially when, cause there aren't that many buyers, you know, there's not, the big hedge funds aren't usually looking for portfolios. And if they are, they're only looking in really nice areas. Like they're not going to buy in, um, in a, in a B minus area. They're going to buy in a, you know, at least B plus probably a minus area. Um, and then, you know, and, and small investors aren't, aren't going to touch them. So there aren't that many buyers. So when they come, we are very interested in them. They just generally, when we see portfolios, they're, junk and it's just like all a bunch of properties in a really bad area that need that are dilapidated with bad tenants who aren't paying or whatever when they do come we want to be aggressive on them but no we've stuck mostly i'd say those as they've come but generally it's just been volume buying some you know buying trying to buy you know three or four houses a month or a duplex and a house and two houses you know try to be aggressive in buying buying that uh a substantial number of properties versus just going big which is probably different than most. Most investors probably start houses and then go to big properties. And uh, in some ways, I think we were thinking the same thing and just kind of have seen this market get so competitive with apartments that it's just like, this is not really like the, the really strong deals for apartments are not there. And, and so we, we haven't gone that route. Although I think eventually we will. Gotcha. So, because it's funny, I'm sure you hear it all the time. You hear different sides of the coin. You talk to investors that have started small and grown into bigger apartment buildings and portfolios and scaled their business. And then you talk to other people that have just gone big from the beginning and you see different approaches. I do hear a lot of times the people that started small and scaled up go back and say, oh, you know, I wish I would have gone bigger at the beginning. Mm -hmm. But a lot of them also say I needed those small deals to get experience and get understanding of what goes into this, which side of those would you say you fall on starting small and growing or should have just jumped in bigger at the beginning and figured it out? I think a lot of people who think big early on aren't, you know, it's like, it's tough to go big early on if you have no experience or very little, you know, who like you've got to convince, (laughs) you've got to convince investors to go in an apartment complex with you. 
Um, they're risking a substantial amount of money. Apartment complexes aren't nearly as liquid as houses are. Um, and so it's, it's one of those things where it almost feels like a fool's errand. And I don't think very many have actually gone immediately to big stuff. Um, I certainly would never consider investing unless it was just the steal of the century. I would never consider investing. I mean, we don't invest passively, but I want to consider investing passively with somebody who had no experience or very little. So I kind of think, um, when you're thinking in this realm, it's not whether to go big or small immediately, you pretty much have to start small. And then once you have that experience, you can go big. And that kind of depends on, you know, your risk tolerance and what you want. Some people don't, you know, want 10, 12 houses. They want a good portfolio, want a good retirement. Uh, they like working on, maybe they do house hacking. Some people want to go big. They want to, you know, do what, uh, you know, really successful investors have done. And I think that's sort of a personal preference. I, I think generally speaking, our model is not the normal one for those who scale. Generally speaking, it's going to big property. So if your goal is to scale, I think you should start with smaller things, but then probably start looking for bigger properties, generally speaking, although there are exceptions. I know plenty of people who have had a lot of success and done uh, very well, focusing predominantly on small on houses, on small multis, uh, doing a lot of uh, fix and flips, wholesales, but holding some themselves. So there's, there's, it's hard to give a one size fits all answer, but generally I think you need to start small. I think you just need the experience there and you're not going to have much luck getting banks and, and private investors on board. You know, there are exceptions, but generally speaking, and then uh, if you want to go big, probably the best place to look apartments and then maybe, uh, but there are certainly opportunities in, in doing smaller properties in volume. Sure. Let's say a beginner is listening to this today. Would you recommend mm -hmm. the entry the way that you did it? Or how would you do it if you were a beginner looking to get started today? Let's, I'll, mm -hmm. I'll lay it out because I agree. There's not one size fits all, but let's put this scenario. Someone that is working in corporate America, they have time. They're maybe under 30 years old. Uh, they have some money, but they're just looking to get into real estate. They're looking to start building passive cash flow and start, you know, investing. Well, uh, generally they're not going to be able to do the way I did it where I joined my father's company. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, so yeah, I have, I have that could. advantage going forward. Yeah. I mean, parents are not a bad place to look for money. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, uh by any means. Um, but I mean, the first place I'd go to, especially if you're willing to do it is the FHA loan program. Um, you know, if you're willing to live in a fourplex, you know, you can, you, you requires you living in, um, in the unit if you buy it. But you can buy investment properties. You can buy up to a fourplex with an FHA loan. Very good interest rates. You do have mortgage insurance, but very good interest rates. 96.5% financing, so very little cash out. You use that to buy a fourplex. You live in one unit, you rent out the others. I mean, that's a great way to get started. If you have some, some money, I mean, again, it, it, a lot of it depends on your risk tolerance. Are you, are you trying to become an active real estate investor like this is your career? Or are you trying to do something on the side? Or are you trying to invest passively? Um, I think... I think any people who are handy in particular, that house hacking is a great way to go. Um, you know, buying a, a cheap property, living in it, kind of fixing it up, and then just going from one to the next to the next. And especially, you can use FHA financing for that too. Two hundred three k program uh, for purchasing properties that need re, you know some sort of, sort of rehab, so you can live in one house, fix it up, then refinance it with a traditional lender, and then do it again. Or that at that point, maybe you're at the financial position you don't need FHA loans and you can go more traditional. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, and then again, I, I would focus on smaller things. I would definitely work on, you know, getting your education in real estate, you know, buy some books, buy, you know, listen to the 
podcast. Don't get sucked into there. Some people who just become uh, obsessively like read everything, learn everything, and they just get you know paralysis from analysis type of thing. And so you got to like set a date to get started. Like I'm going to read like uh, and and build up your network and go to the networking events and get you know you're not just in your little bubble. So get your education, but get out there, find you know find an attorney, find a real estate agent, find those things, interview those people, property management company. And then uh, you kind of set your date to get started. And then it, then it really depends on what your goals are. And I, I really like the FHA program for getting started, especially if you're young and willing to live in a, you know, fourplex instead of a house and uh, house hacking, especially if you're into, um, if you're into uh, doing construction work yourself. And, and then, you know, I, I love the Burr model. I do think it, I think it's, it takes the advantages of flipping, but builds sort of long-term wealth. Um, you can also flip some and hold some to kind of keep your cash flow higher. So I, I would say those, I mean, I know that's a lot of answers, but I think you want, you want to be, you want to get educated with a plan to get started, like originally, immediately with a plan to get started, maybe not, not right away. But uh, immediately, with, you know, you don't want to just endlessly learn and then never get started. And then I think, uh, yeah, consider the yeah. FHA model, consider the house hawking model. But I think generally the Burr method is the best for anyone who wants to get in, into uh, buy and hold. I like that answer because, again, it's not a one size fits all, but you gave mm -hmm. a couple of options that are all lower price point entries. So yes. people can get started, they can use their actual lack of real estate experience as an advantage because that's what the programs are there for, for new investors, new buyers. So that makes total sense. So that's actually a really good segue into the next portion um, where we talk about taking action and actually getting started. So you touched on it about not being paralyzed by information intake, right? Mm -hmm. So I think we see it a lot where there's people that are, they've listened to every bigger pockets episode They've read 20 books, maybe not, maybe a couple, <laughs> and they just can't do their first deal. I mean, I see this constantly. And then there's a small percentage of people that I think just jump in with two feet and say, I'm not going to do any learning, any reading, but I'm just an action taker. That's a smaller percentage. I think they're both uh, not so good, but <laughs> Uh, how do you view personally, I don't know if you have a system or if you've thought mm -hmm. about it yourself taking on new ventures. Uh, I think about this stuff a lot. It's just uh, I'm pr pretty process driven, but how do you view the distinction between strategy and execution, like spending time on strategy versus spending time on executing? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. Um, basically your strategy, you know, once you've created it, it doesn't need to, you know, you want to review it, but you don't need to change it that often. Like if you're always reviewing your strategy and you're always thinking like, Oh, or want to add stuff to it. We're kind of going back to what we were previously talking about know, the, the shiny object syndrome, uh, getting involved in too many things at too many times. The vast majority of your time should be spent executing, um, or learning. I think those are two things. So like when I was saying like you decide you want to get in this case, I guess in this case, sorry to just mm -hmm. like even the, the people that they're, they have a strategy, they're spending, I think, a lot of time learning as a, as a like way to get out of taking action. They're like, oh, no, no, like I'm focused on real estate today. Like I'm reading, but like yeah. they've, they're educated enough. They should now just be taking action of making offers, you know? Yeah. And I think, I think seeing, you know, the difference between, uh, 
Oh, that's a great quote. Like just cause you, just cause you did a lot of stuff doesn't mean you accomplished anything. You know, I, I can't remember exactly. <laughs> I, I, I think edu- you kind of need to see them separately. Education is something you need to, you need to plan for how much time approximately. I mean, I don't want to get too into the weeds here. Like I'm going to spend, you know, 14 hours per week educating myself and, and, and 37 uh, executing and, 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 you know, I'm going to sleep for 6.4 hours. Right, per right, right. Yeah. But generally if you're learning, you're not, you're not working and, and you need to have time for both. And so I think you see particularly like education, you should be like, okay, well, you're listening to podcasts, listening to your podcast, your podcast or whatever, or my podcast, the good stewards podcast, or all three at the same time. Um, if you're doing that, you should uh, do that while you're in the car, you know, do that while you're, you're working out if, uh, or, you know, if you can stand not having, you know, blasting, you know, metal or, or whatnot. Um, if you're reading books, do that in the evening or in the morning, you know, like the five, you know, the miracle morning stuff, read a little bit in the morning during the day when you're set on working, unless you're going to like a networking event or something like that, that needs to be execution. If you're just, if you're just going through bigger pockets and reading articles and I mean, that's, that's fine, but at some point it just becomes, uh, it's just, a, it's uh, the reference I'll use here. I'll, I'll, I will skip. Uh, it just becomes an exercise, <laughs> <laughs> an exercise in futility. Um, but, uh, and uh, so when you're, when you're working, if you're, if you're, if you're learning, like you need to just, I think, draw a distinction between them. Learning and, and working are not the same thing. And when you're at your job, like I, real estate is not a job. A lot of people think to want to get away from that but it is work you're not going to get away from that the gurus are are selling uh you know a false dream when you're working you need to get down into the weeds you need to create a plan you know your strategies how to do it then you want to create okay write out write it out put it on paper not you you got your strategy and you know what you're doing what are your what are your tasks what's the the line items okay i'm gonna what are you gonna start mailing okay well what are the tasks you need to do to get that done Okay, well, I need to figure out how mail merge works, or I need to, I need to, you know, interview some companies, look at and see what Yellow Letters has to offer. I need to decide how many mailings I'm going to send out. How, I'm going to write the letters. Okay, these are the tasks I'm going to do. And and really, people get overwhelmed. I mean, especially in today's society with all social media and all, you know, the media. Con- you could not keep up. You can you can can't watch one percent of all the YouTube videos in your life, even if you're watching all every, you know, nothing but doing that with. 15 screens you can't you can't keep up you can't even keep up with what's coming out mm-hmm. so really i think um you know i'm a big fan of the getting things done system the gtd gtd yeah yeah but and a lot of just writing but you know then you specify it like okay for this task my 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 ta- my, my project uh, i won't get into gtd but i highly recommend getting things done. no 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 if project. you want if you could give a high level on what gtd is okay. i i love david allen sure sure getting things done is a system of organizing yourself uh, that's a lot better than just to-do lists so you create basically you try to create these funnels where all of your inputs come into a certain area and then you deal with them quickly so like, okay, I've got emails coming in. I've got f- messages. I've got, you know, letters. I'm going to put them into the, 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 note your inboxes. And then you try to go through each one of them real quick. And so like, okay, I'm either going to, if it's two minutes or less, just do it. If it's, uh, if it's, you know, if I need to delegate it, send it off to somebody and delegate it. If it's garbage, throw it away. If it needs to be referenced, reference it. 
and get through all of your items very quickly, pretty much each day. And so like, he's like, he's big on keeping your inbox at zero, your email inbox at zero. So uh, try to keep it empty or very close to it or put things in. And then you put things in different categories. Like the big ones are action items. So these are things I need to do. So I even have an action item label in my Gmail. Like mm -hmm. it's just, you know, this is, these are all the emails I need to do something for uh, waiting for. So I've like, this used to be an enormous problem for me. I'd send out an email to somebody and then, you know, three weeks later, I'm like, I didn't get a response to that thing. And I said, oh, but I was due, you know, two weeks ago. And so I'm just like now on the curve. So now I have an, an waiting for, so I send out an email. I just label it waiting for, put it in my email box and, um, or, and then, then archive it. Reference, um, if it's something that you like, okay, this is a password or, well, you should, probably should have your own reference list of passwords, but or like, whatever, you know, something that you might need to look up again. And then, uh, and then incubator someday, maybe something that this is something I should reference every once in a while. And you, you kind of have those, you know, I, I use, there's all sorts of things. People use paper lists. Uh, they have an Evernote. I use, I use a series of Google docs that I made for myself. Um, you know, just, and then you break the, so you have your action items you're waiting for, uh, agenda items, things you need to talk to people about projects, if they require more than one step. And you put all these, it kind of keeps all the things you need to do in one trusted system. So, you know, he, what David Allen says is mind like water. You know, uh, you drop a pebble in the water, it makes the exact splash that's, that's correct. Like you don't want to overreact or underreact. You just react correctly to whatever input comes in. And it's very helpful in that way. And so I highly recommend checking out his book or his, his seminars. Um, it's, it's certainly been, uh, extremely beneficial for me in keeping my, you know, your mind straight, especially in this environment where, you know, that we were not meant to live like this. So you've got to find <laughs> systems like this that can keep track of all the various things that are coming at you. Otherwise you just become overwhelmed. And I think that's one of the major things that happens. People learn so much. They have so many ideas. They keep reading, they keep, you know, they keep listening to podcasts, they keep buying books. And it's just like, where do you even start? And the key thing is just like seeing that as a task. Where do you start? Okay, well, don't just think about it. Put a, get a <laughs> pen and pad together. And like, what do you, what's your, you know, once you have your, once you, you know, first come up with your strategy, what do you want to accomplish right now? What do you, what's your goal? What do you, what, what are you, uh, are you looking to buy one house? You're looking to buy a uh, fourplex and FHA loan? You're looking to flip? Okay, once you got that, um, start boiling down the specifics. How are you going to find these people? Um, are you, are you willing to, you know, just, I mean, you could just like, I don't need to burr out. I don't need the great deal. I just want a good deal, you know, and I don't, I'm not good at like talking to sellers directly. Okay. Maybe just start networking with wholesalers. I mean, there's a bunch of junk out there, but you can also get, you know, we've consistently gotten decent deals from wholesalers. Sometimes we get great ones. Just for those that don't know, can you define wholesaler? Oh yeah. Wholesaler is somebody who gets a property under contract and then they sell the contract. So they might get a house that needs $30,000 work. They don't want to do the rehab. Uh, they it's having under for 40,000. They, they, they try to sell that contract for 50,000 or more like sell a contract for 10,000, make it spread there. And so you buy that, you do the rehab yourself properties with a hundred thousand or something like that. Now with wholesalers, I've seen, you got bad wholesalers who just send you crap. Mm -hmm. You got goods. Wholesalers will generally send you deals that are decent and you'll get like a 10%, if you 10% margin, 15% margin, sometimes you'll get that bird deal at 25. We have gotten bird deals from wholesalers. But usually a good wholesaler will get you okay stuff, decent stuff. You can find it, well, nowadays, maybe not so much. Back in the day, in particularly in less competitive markets, you could find decent deals on the MLS or scrolling Craigslist. So you have less, uh, I mean, I don't want to recommend people go into that path because uh, it's, it's a bit of a lazier path. You know, it's like, it, it's, I, that might sound harsh, but it's like, 
oh, I don't want to negotiate with people. I don't want to talk to sellers individually. You know, I, I'd rather just like talk to some wholesaler and that I can email back and forth with or whatever. And yeah, I mean, you can, and you probably will get, if you're good at analysis, you'll probably get decent deals. You're not going to get great ones though, uh, generally. But what is like, but if that's something you're willing to accept, okay, there's that. And if you want to get into buying really, really good ones, then, you know, maybe, uh, direct mail, maybe start going to the courthouse. Although that, you know, buying auctions, that's not a great thing. Now there aren't a lot of them. It's mm-hmm. also something you want to be careful with because you can get tax liens that you weren't expecting. If you don't check for them, you know, search engine optimization is a big thing these days, you know, building websites. I think that is a great thing, but I don't think it's easy to begin with personally. I just think it takes a lot of, it takes money and effort and energy to build this website uh, and get it up the search, uh, the search rankings. And so I don't think that's, I don't think that's the best way to start unless you have some money, but probably, probably direct mail is still, it's, you know, direct mail to foreclosures or particularly probably the best ones are out of state absentee owners or even absentee owners in areas that you're looking to buy and you find that have equity and you find those and and there's opportunities there. But is that your strategy? If it is, write out the list of things you need to do and do them. And if you're listening to, you know, reading articles and listening to podcasts, you are not doing work. You're learning. So make sure to separate those two things. You need to do both, mm-hmm. but you cannot count learning as work. It's not work. 100%. So all that said, and I, I agree with everything you just said, really, all that said, what actions or activities or things that you can control are you doing right now on a regular basis? Is it direct mail? Is it speaking with wholesalers? Like which of those activities, mm-hmm. those actionables are you measuring yourself on weekly. Yeah. So, I mean, we are, we have a lot of wholesalers that we work with. We also are doing some direct mail stuff. Um, we are we're also always looking at the MLS and scrolling these things like that. We are expanding that program as we, th- as we speak, we, we slowed down for a while cause we bought these big portfolios. I kind of mentioned earlier and uh, some apartments and we got way behind on our rehab. Um, because it's every, you know, we kept buying houses regularly and back then we could find them with EMLS more easily. We could find them, uh, uh, with wholesalers and, and whatnot. We didn't we, like, we, we started a mailing campaign and then we stopped it because we just couldn't buy it. The stuff, you know, we, we weren't, we, we could it was barely, working, keep, we it was working that, that well. It was working market, that well. Well, the market doesn't, that, that market doesn't exist anymore. It will eventually probably come back, but it sure. doesn't exist now. So you need to be more aggressive i guess with more direct marketing we're, we're pushing up that we're ramping that up we're doing some of that now uh we had slowed down for quite a while because of uh because we were dealing with these portfolios we just didn't have an appetite to buy these things sure but yeah i mean you we you know we want to make sure we're getting you know x number of, of mailings out we want to make sure that we're getting uh you know that we're making sure that we're tra- we're following up on everybody who calls in that we're following up on all of our leads that we're, we're tr- you know following up. It's a little easier with wholesalers since I'm on all their lists and a lot of them just call me, but making sure we're following up with all of those things that we're mm-hmm. checking, making sure there aren't properties that's not right. just out there that are, are good. And you know, a lot of it depends on how, of course, how aggressive you want to be, but the same metrics are in place. How many letters do you see? Are you tracking them? Are you, you know, oftentimes one letter is not enough. You know, you'll hear this a lot. You know, you send, you know, send a, send a letter, then a postcard, then a you know, manila envelope letter, whatever. Uh, mix it up, um, things like that. Just, just on that note there, I think a lot of people, they hear the direct mail advice. Um, can you just like maybe debunk that? Not debunk it, but make it a little bit more tangible for someone that's listening to this and say, okay, I'm ready to get started and do direct mail. What would be the tangible steps 
someone listening could do to get started sending outbound marketing through direct mail? I mean, one, you know, I've never used yellow letters, but they want to be a bad per- group to contact, especially since they do sort of letters that are basically handwritten or they look handwritten and not actually handwritten. Mm-hmm. Um, so contacting them or some of their competitors would be a good place to start. I think looking at um, picking an area, like where do you want to invest in? Like, do you want to, like, so, uh, you know, for us, we're looking for cash flowing rentals. So we're looking at blue collar, you know, working class, lower middle class areas, a couple. Let's say, let's say I'm yeah. someone listening, looking to do Columbus, Ohio. They okay, like the so market. They have an uncle there. Pick, pick which spots of Columbus, Ohio, because Columbus, Ohio still has some, some three, you know, three zip codes yeah, three that zip they codes. feel very okay. good about. Then one idea, I just mosey on over to list source. Or okay. another site like that. ListSource is the one we use. What is and ListSource for those that don't know? ListSource is just a list service. So they've got all sorts of data and it seems, to, I'm sure some of it is not good, but most of it seems to be pretty solid. And it's pretty cheap and you can buy lists of, of uh, you know, homeowners with equity you know, or absentee owners with equity and these zip codes. Uh, I've used it for finding banks. Like, I, you know, I was just like, uh, show me people, you know, lenders who've lend in these this area uh for out of for for non-owner occupants uh in the last year or so in this price range and they find the banks there it's like okay they've lent to another investor in this area maybe they'll lend to me <laughs> so you then just get them and, and call them up um it was actually yeah, it was actually humorous one time it was a, one lender we were talking to was like, so how did you uh how do you hear about us? And I explained this method. It was just like, oh, I guess it's not the advertising we're doing. It's this random back. We ended up on someone's list. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you, you can, I mean, ListSource has a lot of great data and there are, I think, data quick and there's some other sources out there. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't, ListSource is not the only one. So getting, getting that list nailed down and mm-hmm. then figuring out like, okay, what's your, what, what's your mailing schedule? Like how often do you want to mail them? What type? What of do you recommend? I guess someone getting started. They've got their three zip codes. They know in Ohio, They've pulled some lists from list source. I, however, you know, that process works, seems pretty straightforward. Then what do they do next? I guess if they were really okay. looking to do this tangibly. So, yeah, I mean, if you want to list, uh, let's say maybe send three, three or four mailings over the course of, uh, of, you know, once a month or thereabout. I mean, it can vary. Um, you, you might want to follow up again, maybe in six months or something. Just, like just basic copy. Hey, yeah. I want to buy your house or, uh, Hey, would you ever consider no, selling? I want to go with just basic copy. I, I mean, yeah, it's like, you know, I, well, basic just sounds basic, but yeah. Well, I just mean straightforward and simple. Straightforward you know. and simple. Hey, yes. You're not writing your an essay. You're not, uh, you know, you know, the, you know. Hi, my name is Andrew. I'm 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 a, a local real estate investor looking to purchase properties. Uh, your property is something that would be of interest to me. If you have any interest in selling it, I'd be happy to give a competitive offer or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you might want to, yeah, yeah, clean that up, tighten oh, it that a was bit. Good. Yeah. And then, you know, put, give your contact information if you can, and then maybe switch up the types, you know, maybe you send a, send just a regular envelope letter first, by the way, do not ever send those letters that you get that are bills, you know, with the, with the transparent tape that you will get 0% return on that. And then, uh, you know, you want to send, um, you know, maybe start with that. If you can, there are handwriting machines you can buy. They're fairly expensive. I don't remember that make it look like it's handwritten. We've even had, you know, hire people to handwrite them in the past before those came out. Or you can write it, or you can just handwrite um, 
the if you don't have a handwriting system or like go to yellow letters you can just handwrite the uh the envelope itself i mean it'll take a while if you're sending out mm-hmm. 500 mailings this is going to take some time you could do it while you're listening to a bigger pockets podcast or your podcast or uh in the uh in the evenings if you want or hire somebody or have your kids do it or whatever or go to yellow letters and have their machines do it i think yellow letters offers that service um and uh, you can do that with envelopes. Maybe the next one you send a postcard. They don't even need to open the postcard. Or then you send like, they're more expensive because of those big manila envelopes. Those are more likely to get interest and in, like actually get opened. Change up your script a little bit. Don't write the exact same thing. Maybe include a business card. Maybe, uh, you know, maybe crack an innocuous joke or something like that. Uh, and so, you know, th- these are, and then track your debt. You know, who from this list, if you get no calls, why not? Well, I mean, you're not sure exactly, but if you get a bunch of calls off of the letter, but none off the postcard, well, maybe it's just drop the postcard. It's just wasted money. Uh, if you're getting a lot of calls on the, you know, on the, say you're sending only two mailings and you get no calls on the first, but a decent number on the second, you probably want to add a third mailing to it. So track your data as best as you can. Uh, that can be tricky and get arduous. And we, I will admit we have not done that great. But um, you want to track what you're sending um, and mix it up. And, and uh, you know, once you've mm-hmm. hit one area for a while, it's probably, you know, having only one little spot you invest in can be tricky. You know, maybe move to the next one and kind of come back and stuff like that. And if sure. people call you and tell them to take it off your list, uh, uh, take, them, take them off. <laughs> I like it. That makes sense. Yeah. That was a very simple, tangible breakdown because you hear it thrown out there a lot. And I think people are discouraged because they don't know the steps. Mm-hmm. And they think it's something that is expensive or just too difficult to do. But from the way you explained it, it's a very straightforward, simple process well, that people can use as a marketing outreach. Yeah. And let me make one other thing clear. You're going to screw up. Like that's going to happen. And you're, you know, my brother has a sign on his office. This is, you know, make more mistakes, you know, because mm. if you're not making any mistakes, you're not doing anything. And that in itself yeah. is a mistake. Very meta. Um, but it's, uh, it is true. Um, you you are going to screw up you're going to send out you i mean you might send out letters that's just are absolutely stupid you might send out stuff that gets no response you might get you're probably going to get somebody i mean not too much from letters unless you're going after mm-hmm. like i mean um for like people who mail probate which is kind right. of that gets right. a little little you know you're offering a service so there's nothing wrong with it but if you do it in a uh, uh you're probably going to get some fairly angry people um sure and so, or, or if you're doing uh, phone calls, you know, if you're calling them, which is definitely a way to do it, or doing door knocking, which is a way to do it as well, it's particularly with them. Um, that, that's more for somebody who's behind on, on their mortgage. Uh, you will most certainly get angry people. <laughs> and so, you know, it, there is going to be something with, uh, you know, growing a thick skin um, and, and being willing to make mistakes and knowing that you're going to make some mistakes. Mm-hmm. I, I think Josh Dorkin has often said like, you will lose money on your first real estate deal. It's just a good way to think about it. Not so much like you're trying to lose money, but it's like people lose money in real estate. It's right. It's right. Not, Expe- you're, you're not going to, yeah, you're not going to, you're not going to win everyone. If you go and planning, like I have to win every time, otherwise I'm a failure. Then uh, this is not the business for you. And really no business is the business for you. <laughs> you know, that's a, that's the thing where it's like, mm-hmm. if that's your mindset and you don't feel like you can change it, probably, entrepreneurial things are not not the best suited for you and, and more of a traditional uh job would be and so yep. you're gonna screw up people will be mad at you um just accept that going in and it makes it a little easier you know give yourself the leeway to screw up and you have a lot and you feel a lot more liberated to actually go forth and make uh and make you know make bold plays and things like that 
totally agree with that. I that's the pretty much only thing that I subscribe to on an everyday basis is just consistency in action and you're going to make mistakes, but you'll look back and you'll be happy you did it. You'll learn from what you did. So very cool. Yeah. I think um, every, every entrepreneur I've heard has talked about mm-hmm. like the, like almost embarrassed by the mistakes they made at the beginning. Uh, but at the same time, these are successful people. And so it's like, I should tell you something like you, you know, uh, it, making mistakes is part of the process. Yep. Yep. hundred percent. So very cool. Love that answer. Mm-hmm. Moving to kind of the wind down of the show. This is rapid fire. So quick hits, just go through a couple of questions and then we'll get you out of here. How do you like to stay educated? You know, I, I try to listen to podcasts when I'm in my car a lot and then read books and just kind of check in with uh, bigger pockets and the like, and also go to good events from sometimes, especially the networking, uh, you know, the, your local RIA or, or, our bigger events like the the bigger pockets podcast uh bigger pockets conference and things like that got it any apps websites tools you use every day to run your business well i want to say every day we use rent managers our property management software and like it list sources good for lists and things like that if you can get access to the mls you really have to be a real estate agent that is uh definitely very helpful um so yeah those are some things that i'd, I'd recommend Anything on that as a follow-up question that you use to track tasks, activities, things like that? You mentioned Google before. Rent manager for most for anything property management related. And then I I you know, I've gotten into Google we've used Smartsheet for our scopes of work for real for rehab mm-hmm. projects. And then I, I really just kind of built some Google Docs that I, I find very helpful. I've I I the leeway of being able to use Google Docs and what you can create with that. Um is just made that my preference for daily tasks and things like that. Me too. That's what I use. Um, any experience with leverage or virtual assistants? We have one virtual tasks. assistant and we've offloaded some tasks. It's, it can be tricky sometimes because you can't be there with them um, or talk <clears> to them. Um, and sometimes it's just not worth like scanning documents to send to them and things like that. But you know, this is an old thing from Tim Ferriss. And I, I think there is some truth to it. You know, you get one, if you can afford them, you know, and it makes sense, you have anything, uh, you start to find stuff for them. So uh, if, if it's just something that you think might be helpful, you can think of some ideas, it's probably worth just getting one, especially since you can set their hours lower if it doesn't work and you can always stop if it doesn't work. Sure. But uh, you kind of find stuff for them to do. And like, uh, if you're thinking actively about it and once you have one, it's like, you can't have everything planned out from the beginning. That's kind of one of those paralysis from analysis things. So I think generally speaking, it's a good idea. Um, if, and, uh, maybe not, not right at the beginning, but early on, I think getting some, some help on those more arduous, uh, tasks that are just time consuming uh, is good. Cool. What is next for you? Uh, probably getting into, I mean, I've said this before and, and, maybe the uh, the lack of a recession has held us back a bit. We're continuing to buy. We want to continue to grow. I think we will eventually get into more apartment complexes. We're building our platform a little bit. We have a, you know, the good stewards podcast, which me and my father and, and two other colleagues, Amanda and, and Ryan are on. And uh, you know, I'm continuing writing. Um, and so I think just kind of building our company out, building our platform and probably eventually here moving into larger properties Um but I think it's kind of the new division thing. We want to continue with uh, the houses and small multis that we've become pretty proficient in. Got it. Very cool. What do you do for fun or hobbies, interests when you're not real estate investing? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't fun. No, <laughs> yeah, I, I like uh, you know, uh, I play the guitar, I like working out and hey, uh, playing basketball. Though I haven't done that as much as I'd like to do. Um, traveling when I can, um, things like that. Uh, just uh, you know, the simple things. You know, hanging out with friends and over a beer and whatnot. Those are always good. Love it, love it. Where can people learn more about you and see your content? Yeah, so I have a weekly-ish uh, blog at biggerpockets.com. You go to Bigger Pockets and you go to the blog, you can see me there. Uh, I also do a little personal blogging, not too much at my personal site, which is just andrewserious.com. And then we have uh, the Good Stewards podcast, um, which uh, my father and two of my colleagues are on as well. Uh, we just go over, we kind of take deep dives on particular topics within real estate. So um, it's not, it's less of a broad discussion, more of like how we do the specific thing. So I, I, which is a bit, uh, I think a bit different than some of the other things out there. And so, yeah, you can find us, uh, me at any of those places or our website, just stewardshipproperties.com. Gotcha. Very cool. We'll share all that out. Mm-hmm. What advice would you tell your younger self could be real estate related, could be life. I mean, I think a lot of it was, you know, I had the issue of, uh, of fearing mistakes more so than I should and just being active. You know, if you're not doing anything is a passive mistake, uh, mm. active mistakes are better than passive mistakes. So I think just being more aggressive with, uh, approach and less worried about, uh, what mistakes I might make, what people might think of me. I said, all that stuff is just noise. Gotcha. Okay. Last question on the rapid fire. Does every deal on the MLS have a price or you need to find an off market deal in 2020 to succeed? I mean, every deal has a price. Sometimes it's negative, but every deal does have a price. Uh, Today, these days, if you want to get into active investing, I think there's very little on the MLS that you're going to find. I mean, every, we found one or two last year. One was a, like a mislisting that we got, got in on quickly and beat out barely a highest investing. And the other one was they mislisted the square footage. And I think that scared people off. And mm-hmm. like they said, it was a 400 square foot house. <laughs> it was like 700. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, and that was, but it's rare and few and far between nowadays. Uh, but if you're, if you're not, if you if you're more of a passive investor, just want to get some real estate under your belt, have some money and some savings. That's one thing, but I don't think you're going to find much of the MLS these days. Gotcha. Very cool. Okay. So that was the rapid fire wind down. The last question of the podcast um, is with the goal of helping people get started and help them network the right way. So sometimes we find the best way for them to do that is serve others or get help by adding value instead of asking for value on the front end. Um, is there anything right now you are struggling with, need help with, or someone could reach out to you to bring you value that would be a good way to start a relationship? Well, if you're in the Kansas City area, we are looking for an acquisition assistant now. It's, uh, it's, it, I can't remember exactly off the top of my head what it's paying. It's not... Uh, it's not a hugely lucrative one, but uh, position, but it might help you. I mean, it certainly would help you get into the acquisition mindset. If this is something you eventually want to do, we understand that. Um, you know, it, as far as it goes also, I mean, if you just want to help me out sharing my articles or our podcast would certainly be appreciated. And, you know, if you're in the Kansas city area, send me an email. Um, I can't promise anything, but I, you know, I'd be happy to try to meet you for coffee or something like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, just sharing your content uh, if you're and, and, and checking out what we have and, and, or unless you're like a private lender or something like that, we're also interested in that kind of thing. So um, 
that would be great. Very cool. Share the content if you're a private lender or if you are looking for work in the area as an asset manager or asset acquisition. Acquisition assistant at this point, yeah. Okay, gotcha. Be a, it was not a managerial title. position we're looking for, but yeah. Acquisition assistant, I like that. Okay, and that's probably, there's probably no better way, guys. We talk about this constantly here. There is no better way to learn, in my opinion, than to either do the job or be around people that are two, three, five, ten 10 steps ahead of you and are willing to give you an opportunity. And it sounds like this one's even paid. So I was talking about unpaid apprenticeship. So Andrew, we'll I mean, see. if you want to yeah. fetch my coffee for free, I'm, I'm more than willing to consider that. <laughs> You'd be um, surprised. <laughs> You'd be surprised. I think people just don't know the right way to reach out or value add. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, Andrew, man, I first off just want to thank you so much for coming on, but Absolutely. also thank you for the content that you put out there, the engagement that I see you have a lot of times on bigger pockets in the forums and in the community. It's helping tons of people. Um, and also just for the job that you're doing on the value add deals you're doing in territory. It's a good thing. And big theme of this podcast is investing and helping people in the right way. So kudos to you for that. Um, we love to see it and we appreciate it. So on that note, before we get you out of here, is there anything else that you'd like to just say to the audience before we cut? I mean, I think the, uh, I think the keeping, you know, keeping focused, versus the shiny object syndrome and making sure to separate the concepts of education and work um, are probably the two big things I would, I would really stress as sort of, and, and check out David Allen's getting things done. So I think I would stress those points mm. as things to takeaways from this discussion. Very cool. All right. Well, Andrew, thank you again. Best of luck. Big things ahead for you. You're already crushing it. Mm. You're a BP celebrity. In my opinion, you got a lot of good stuff coming. So I'll say that. Keep it up and we will talk soon. Thanks again. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right.